The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Initiative, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, Falcon and Winter Soldier, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, April 19th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X... You can just call me Prof, but don't call me Prof. Just keep it in your head. I usually do that in my head. And Priscilla Rocha. Dang, I didn't come up with anything this time around. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you could scream, I am Captain America. <laughs> I was about to be like, the shield is mine, but no. Oh, okay. Well, on that note, let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 5, which was titled truth and debuted april 16th 2021 via disney plus here's the official synopsis of the episode john walker faces consequences for his actions sam and bucky return to the u.s that actually happened in the episode but so much more happened. We actually have a lot to discuss. That The little synopsis that they put on Disney Plus is teeny, teeny, teeny tiny. But there is a whole lot in this episode. This was the longest episode of um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier that we've had yet. Even if you remove those end credits, it was the longest episode. We had a mid-credit scene. Priscilla messaged me right before the episode saying she didn't know that there was a mid-credit scene. Just teasing. She knew about it. Right, Priscilla? I had no idea there was a mid-credit scene, actually. I was like... And when you and when you posted it, I, I was actually going to watch the show right afterwards. So I was like, okay, now, there, now I know there's a mid-credit scene. Now I'm going to stick through it. And okay. Okay, good. She stuck through it, y'all. All right, let's talk about this. I'm going to start off with the beginning. Start at the very beginning. Very good place to start with Captain America versus Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We get a brawl. We get a big-ass fight. We got Captain America foaming at the mouth, screaming, I am Captain America! We have uh, Falcon's wings getting clipped. We we get John Walker trying to give his back, his own back, a, a hug. Um, yeah, I mean, was this the fight we were all waiting for? Was this satisfying? Let's start off with the professor, because he is prone to violence. 
Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was, you know, uh, it's obviously a fight that we've been building towards for, you know, certainly since episode two, uh, really since ep- the end of episode one. We've been, you know, waiting for the moment when, you know, uh, they took the shield back from him and, uh, you know, to have the two of them involved in the fight. Uh, it was great. Uh, you know, it, it was really interesting, you know, for stylistically to start off the episode with this big action scene and then everything else is just character for the rest of the episode. But, you know, getting that fight scene out of the way, I think made sense. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's breaking, uh, you know, John Walker down, uh, both physically and emotionally, uh, as we see, you know, for him, you know, later in the episode. Uh, but also, you know, they have the, uh, the shield back, which, you know, sets up a lot of, uh, discussion and character work for, uh, for Bucky and Sam in the episode. So I thought it was a great fight. Um, I am a little bothered, you know, I think, you know, yes, John Walker's obviously, you know, he's a, a, a trained fighter, but, you know, Bucky was able to go toe to toe with Captain America, the real Captain America, uh, you know, uh, in the Winter Soldier. Uh, and, you know, it does seem that, you know, uh, Walker is able to uh, hold off uh, Bucky and Sam fairly, fairly easily, you know, considering it's it's two against one. Um, but, uh, you know, that t- tiny little niggling bit aside, uh, I did like it. And the fact that, you know, they literally had to break his arm or at least wrench it severely uh, in order to get the shield away from him. Um, it, it was, yeah, just, it was a really good, brutal fight scene. That was a whole dislocation situation. I mean, I didn't, have, mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with them having trouble with it because unlike the fight with Captain America, it wasn't a fight to kill on both ends who are strangers. It was a fight with these two knowing that they don't really want to harm this guy. They don't really want to break his arm. They don't want to hurt him. They just want the shield back. And they just want to take him into custody. But he doesn't want himself. I don't know. And I also like I like I love the beats in the in the fight where you could totally see the winter soldier come out like the scenes where he was in close combat with um with the fake captain america and you could totally see beats in in the choreography that looked almost exactly like captain america versus the winter soldier when they were fighting one-on-one it looked insanely good but i think the best part of the fight scene for me was when he ripped off falcon's wings i was like no i felt like that scene in mean girls when they ripped the tiara i was like no how dare you how is he gonna come back from this and he still contributed to the fight even though he wasn't Mm -hmm. super powered so there you go jeffrey he doesn't need to be super powered true that is true uh, yeah, the fight was fantastic. I, I do tend to agree a little bit more with Priscilla. Um, that the fight, uh, I, I mean, the fight was the way that it was because Captain America clearly was out for blood. Like, he was going to kill Falcon after he ripped the wings off and he was going to do, you know, a, an encore of what he did to Flag Smasher uh, number nine. Um, yeah, he was going to get him, and, and his whole justification, why are you making me do this? Why are you making me do this? I was like, oh, God, calm down, drama queen. This is your true colors coming out. That's what the damn Cindy Lauper was singing about in the 80s. These were his true colors. Um, 
it was it was a lot. So clearly Captain America was out for blood. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think, were just trying to neutralize him. Like I don't think they were out for blood. I mean, did they want to rough him up a little bit because they don't feel like he should be Captain America? I would say yes. I think personal stuff do, does did go into some of the fight and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I don't think they really wanted to hurt him in a lethal kind of way but at a certain point they had to fight to defend themselves and um, that's what we ended up seeing because clearly walker was rabid he was roid raging super soldier serum roid raging it was a lot uh, I listen as much as as much as the internet has given him shit, and unfortunately the man has had to deactivate his social media. But Wyatt Russell is playing the fuck out of his character. I may not agree with him. I may not like him. I may not think that he should wear those colors and hold that shield. But he is playing the fuck out of it, which makes him a very fascinating character. Yeah. Yeah, the actor's doing the damn thing. He's making me, like, despise him. He, yeah. He's doing a really good job. Yeah, I'd love... They need to do just, like, a BTS of Goldie and, and Kurt watching these episodes. I'd love to hear their commentary. Yeah, you know they're watching. All right. Uh, oh, God, this fight. Anyway, so moving right along, I want us to continue with Walker. And even though I'm going to mention Walker a little bit as I do the setup to the question, the question really is not going to be about Walker because I will have another question about Walker in a moment. So Walker returns to the U.S. Um, he has been basically deranked. He is no longer Captain America. He is getting... It's not dishonorably discharged, but he's getting discharged, basically, from the military. His services are not going to be needed. He's not going to get a pension. He's not going to be this, that, or the other. He uh, starts off uh, like a normal human, but as you know, he keeps on hearing from this uh, group of senators and government officials about what they're doing to him, um, he gets agitated and sort of roids out. A little bit, not in a violent way, but definitely in a uh, verbal and vocal kind of way. So, uh, he basically leaves saying that he is Captain America, even though they're like, well, not anymore. So when he's outside of, uh, I don't know, with, with the government building, and he's chatting with his wife, in comes the surprise that we were all told to expect in this episode. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus of Seinfeld, New Adventures of Old Christine, Veep fame. I also liked her on this little known series called Watching Ellie. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She saunters in. She introduces herself as Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Actually, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. She basically tells him, you know what? They're happy you killed him. They would have loved that you killed all of them. Um, I like what you're doing. I, I, I you know, I, I feel like, you know, I get where you're coming from. And one of the best decisions you're going to make, or the best decision you're going to make in your life, is answering the phone when I call you. She also says, I know you don't have the shield. And she gives us the intel that we all kind of knew. You know, the government doesn't own it. It's kind of a little, in. It, there's like a legal gray area there. And she basically saunters away. 
All right, so, I kid you not, I watched this episode at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the night that it debuted, because I was like, I don't want anything spoiled, and uh, I knew something big was going to happen. This maybe isn't the big thing that everybody was expecting, but it was big for me. I thought it was fantastic. When she said her name, I swear to you, I paused the damn video, and I Google schmoogled her. I figured out, or I found out that Valentina Allegra de Fontaine is also known in the comics as Madame Hydra. She was a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Apparently she had a romantical past with Nick Fury. She also has an association with Sharon Carter. Um, she ran something called the Femme Force in the comics. She was also, at some point, a Russian sleeper agent and that sort of thing. I don't know how they're going to interpret her. In this, um, we did find out that this was not actually going to be her MCU debut. She is going to be in the Black Widow film. So, uh, oddly enough, I'm actually glad that they pushed back the Black Widow film. Because had we seen this character interpreted in the Black Widow film, I think this could have been someone that we would have guessed as, oh, who is the surprise? Maybe. So because we don't even know that Julia Drew-Dreyfus you know, is a part of the MCU, this added to the surprise nature of this. So, theorizing time, armchair theorizing, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, were we surprised uh, for the comic book aficionados? Were we excited? Are we excited that it's Julie Louis-Dreyfus? Um, I'm trying to think back to her filmography. I don't think she's ever really played villainous like this. So, you know, Julie Louis-Dreyfus taking the villainous turn. I'm just going to open this up to the floor if you want to theorize. Is she the power broker? Question mark. Uh, oh, in the comics, she was sort of like a leader in Madripoor. I don't know if they're going to interpret that in the series, but just wanted to put that out there. Uh, what did we think of this? Question mark. Uh, I'm utterly delighted. You know, to have Julia Louis-Dreyfus in a recurring uh, role in the MCU is just going to be the gift that keeps on giving. This is going to be up there with, you know, Catherine Hahn as Agatha mm -hmm. Harkness, as someone who, or possibly a, a Tom Hiddleston as Loki level of someone who can just keep popping up and popping up and just be a, a delight. You know, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is someone, she's so good at, at what she does. And, you know, she's, she's playing this, obviously, smart connected manipulative character uh you know she uh she foists off uh you know uh, walker's wife with a card that has nothing written on it um you know she just has this this total control uh in terms of what they're going to do story-wise uh, i don't know I, I i don't want them to stick too closely to uh to comic book canon because then there's no surprises true but one thing that i do hope that they they keep is the idea of a past relationship with nick fury because seeing samuel l jackson and julia louis dreyfus playing two people who you know were intimate in the past but are no longer on good terms those two sniping at each other that would be you know worth your disney plus uh subscription right there yes 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 i agree with you on that 100 per Sense. Uh, when I saw her on the screen, I immediately thought of Catherine Hahn in a good way and in, a, in, in, in the same way, in the sense that we have another comedic actor who's playing a villain and who's clearly going to chew up all of the scenery in all of the scenes that they are in. They're going to chew it up, spit it out, and chew it again, which is going to be fantastic to see. Priscilla, your take on the Contessa. Val, but just don't call her Val. Just think it. 
Oh my god, I loved her when she came out. I, was, I haven't, to be fair, I haven't seen anything this actress has been in. What? My like, I haven't seen anything You've she's never been seen in. You've never seen Bang Ding 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 first to Julia Louis-Dreyfus as this actress. Julia Louis put the Emmy on my name every goddamn year the beep is on the air, Dreyfus. And you're calling her this actress Wait. like she's... Second lead on a CW show. Wait, I do need to. I need to break this down a little bit. First of all, you've never seen Seinfeld. Never seen Seinfeld. You've never seen Veep. Never seen Veep. Wow. Good lord. <laughs> People like you do exist. It's fascinating. All right, continue on, Priscilla. <laughs> now you know what to binge. I mean, Veep has yes. less seasons, so that's easier to binge. Wow. All right. Okay. Priscilla, continue on. But as soon as I saw her, she's magnetic. Like, the fact that she just took this other actress and she's like, move out of the way with just, like, the brush of her hand. And she's like, yeah, excuse me. I, 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 I'm I, taking my place here, and I'm the one that's going to take charge of this situation. And I'm the one that's going to tell your husband what to do right about now. And your husband's going to listen to me, even though I give you guys a blank card that has nothing on it. Like... It's it's mysterious. It's powerful. It's it's everything I love. Like I I want to see more of this character. And and as soon as I finished watching this, I googled her too, and I was like, okay, she was in Leviathan. So maybe that means that Leviathan is coming up in the in the series, and that's gonna be the next Hydra. So I don't know. I I I want to know more about her. But if she has a background with Samuel L. Jackson, man, the sniping that we can see from that is going to be epic. I just, yes, please give me more of that. Yes. Yes, I do remember Leviathan. That was one of the things that I missed, so I'm glad you brought that up, Priscilla. We have seen Leviathan on Agent Carter, and uh, I know S.H.I.E.L.D. is not officially MCU canon. I do think... Agent Carter is just because we saw Jarvis in an uh, um, Endgame, yes, Avengers Endgame. Uh, so the same actor that played Jarvis on uh, Agent Carter, we saw him uh, physically um, in Avengers Endgame. So I think there might be at least some connective tissue between the Agent Carter series and um, the MCU proper. If not, just a little note on mm -hmm. this actress. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has won the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress uh, seven times. Seven Emmy Awards. <laughs> this actress. I love it. He's so offended. <laughs> it's beautiful. Well, and by the way, in 2018, she won the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Oh, well-deserved. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so if they remix Leviathan, if they just reintroduce it and they introduce it as something brand new... I don't mind that either. Um, my, my hope is that they do treat it kind of like Hydra, where it's like always been there, so that maybe some of that history that we learned in Agent Carter can still be uh, factually accurate in the MCU. If not, we'll just see them do their own thing if they decide to go the Leviathan way. What will be kind of interesting, and I don't know if they would ever do this because Phil Coulson is dead in the present day, but Clark Gregg was... Julia Louis-Dreyfus's co-star in The New Adventures of Old Christine. And uh, if we get some flashback 
with the Contessa, you know, even in a tiny scene with Phil Coulson, I think that would be kind of fun. You know, a little New Adventures of Old Christine reunion. We'll see. Black Widow does take place in the 90s, and we don't know how uh, how much she's going to be in that. Uh, what I kind of hope, in a way, is for this new era of the MCU, the post-Thanos era, it might be kind of fun to have her be the anti-Nick Fury. Have her show up, even if it's just at the tail end of a movie, at the end credits, you know, the, the secret scene. Show up and, and start, you know, collecting some of these bad people. And, uh, you know, creating her own little, whether it's a team or something, that might be kind of fun. Uh, well, I think her... that's clearly what they're hinting at here. Yeah. You know, with her saying that she'd be giving him a call and, you know, him picking up would be the smartest thing imaginable. I would not be surprised that, you know, we that we get another scene with her, uh, like a post-credit scene uh, uh, in the, after the final episode, uh, with her making that phone call, John Walker, or possibly showing up on the raft, uh, to, uh, to get someone else. Oh, that's interesting. We'll talk about the raft in a moment. Very interesting, Professor. I love a bold prediction. So let's continue on with Walker. So, uh, at the urging of his wife, she's like, you know, you need to talk to Lamar's parents. And uh, so he does, and it's a whole lot of gaslighting. But uh, but here's the the situation. I feel like he's gaslighting himself, and ga- in gaslighting himself, he's gaslighting everybody else, because he's very adamant about you know I killed him, you know because he killed Lamar, and he said that to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and they corrected him. But he's still adamant to Lamar's parents. You know I killed, you know I did it for Lamar. This that or the other. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really know what the scene was supposed to convey outside of the fact that he's clearly lying to himself about what happened. He's trying to justify his actions as being heroic when they clearly weren't. Maybe that's all that we were supposed to get from the scene, but that's pretty much what I got from it. Uh, this scene leads to the uh, mid-credits scene that we saw. And uh, it is Walker-centric. Walker is forging his own Captain America shield. Um, I mean, I guess when you get your shield taken away, you're going to create your own one. This is comic book accurate. Um, When Walker gets his shield taken away from Captain America, in the comics, he does end up creating his own shield. Clearly, this is not a vibranium shield. But uh, it it's his own little cutesy shield with medals and stuff on it and uh, the red, white, and blue paint scheme. So, let's talk about Walker in his entirety in this episode. What did we think of him? Uh, what was y'all's interpretation of the scene with Lamar's parents? And clearly, he, either he's having some sort of... Um, something of, of, of a um i don't want to say a mental breakdown but he's clearly deluded himself so much now that he he thinks he's captain america that he's now created his own shield priscilla i think it's it was like a weird like reflection of what was going on like a cartoonish reflection of what was going on with Falcon, whereas Falcon, like, brings the community together and is, like, seeing things from a different side of the black community, like, 
he's a white guy trying to insert himself into the black community by trying to like gain forgiveness from Lamar's family and Lamar's family in the end is hugging themselves alone and he's not part of that hug he's not part of that like togetherness he's an outsider he walks away from it that's an interesting take see I don't think of it in that way it just, you know, if if you want to parallel that with what Falcon is going through in, and sort of like in his journey to become Captain America, that's an interesting take, Priscilla. Yeah. Professor, what about you? What did you think of Walker throughout the entire episode? And, uh, and what did you think of his scene in particular with Lamar's parents? Well, I, I disagree with you uh, in your take on it. I don't think he believes he, he got the guy who killed Lamar. I think he knows uh, on some level he killed the wrong guy. Um, and I think that's part of, you know, what's pushing him his his refusal to accept that, to, to realize that he did make a mistake. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, uh, I think the only reason to include that scene with Lamar's parents was to have him, if he doesn't realize he killed the wrong guy, then that scene loses a lot of its strength because if he knows that he killed the wrong person and he's lying to the grieving parents, that is a much worse thing for him. Uh, than uh, than doing it the other way. Although one could argue that, you know, strangely enough, that it seems that, you know, the lie did give them some closure, uh, you know, a sense that, well, at least the person who did this to Lamar is dead. So that might be part of it as well. But, you know, he did sort of back down the lie. You know, he was sort of backing up the lie because he'd said it uh, to the senator as well. So I think for me, it's, it's sort of showing the fact that, you know, uh, just how far he's being pushed by this. I, I don't think, you know, because again, it, it, he almost has to know uh, that he killed the wrong guy because otherwise why would he bother coming back? Why would he bother making a shield and, and presumably showing up for the final battle? He still has to try to kill Carly because she's the one who actually killed Lamar. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, his mission is still unfulfilled in that respect. Um, I did, you know, uh, again, I, I, I don't like the character of John Walker, but I do love the way that he's being played. I think there's that subtlety, uh, you know, the scene that he had with, uh, you know, uh, with the, uh, the politicians where he's basically making the interesting argument that, Hey, I did everything you asked me to do. You know, you don't understand what the situation was like. Um, you know, it's very much, you know, the, the soldier lament, you know the, the people in ties um and uh yeah i think it uh, it was a, a a good payoff at the end him making his own shield you know incorporating his uh, his three medals of honor uh into that shield uh you know as uh, as sort of you know his sense but i don't i think you know his his argument i i don't agree also with you that he you know he has that sort of you know psychotic i am captain america you know he was given that role you know and he has been you know trying to fulfill it um but i don't think he's he's got any sort of psychotic break or anything like that i think it's just that you know um he's someone who you know had a mission it, it went south on him and you know he's you know um yeah i think he knows he killed the wrong person and is is having to deal with the consequences of that in in a very very bad way well, it looked kind of psychotic when he was filming at the mouth, and he screamed it in uh, Falcon's face as they were fighting. Um, well, from his point of view, though, he was the one chosen to be Captain America. The government gave him the job. And then these two guys show up, and they try to take the shield away from him. So I think it was an understandable thing. And then for him to, you know, make that argument later on, you know, in a slightly more measured way. You know, it was the difference between I am Captain America versus I am Captain America. Uh, you know, and again, he's he's playing it with those levels. But uh, I don't think he's he's just, you know, 
uh, a, a, a psychotic loony or anything like that. I think he's someone who, you know, uh, almost, you know, you could almost make an argument for being a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but I think, it again, is, yes. it's, it's a, a more mature portrayal of it, I think, but that they've, they've sort of done that. I think they've done a nice job of not going, you know, the low road with, uh, with John Walker. You know, even though he has been a, a bad person in many respects, I think they've given him justifications for what he's done most of the time. I can co-sign that. I mean, they could have taken him down the straight villainous route. And yes, he killed somebody. Uh, but, you know, I get where he's coming from. Like, I understand the character. Uh, Wyatt Russell is playing him really well. The writers have done a really good job of writing for the character as well. So I I get him. I, I get where his mindset is. Um, I, I just don't agree with any of it. So <laughs> there is that. Um, but I do think, uh, I, I do agree with you, Professor. I guess what I was trying to convey is that I, he's trying to gaslight himself while he's gaslighting everybody else. And I think a, a, deep down he knows that he killed the wrong person, but he keeps on repeating it, and it's because he's gaslighting everybody else uh, that uh, he killed uh, the right person. Um, yeah. Okay, so moving on from Walker, let's talk about Isaiah Bradley. And, uh, yeah, so we have, uh, we have Sam in his, the first place that he visits when he returns back from the U.S. with the shield in tow, actually, is to Maryland to visit Isaiah Bradley and to have a, a talk with him about what happened to him and, uh, why Isaiah Bradley has been lost in history. And we get all of Isaiah Bradley's backstory. We learn that his life the, his experience with the super soldier serum mirrored Steve's uh, experience. You know, Steve Rogers, there, there was a moment that we saw that, that he actually saved POWs. And he was lauded as a hero. But Isaiah Bradley, as a black man in the era that he grew up in, he disobeyed orders and he was treated as, you know, a, um, you know, a, a bad soldier. He was imprisoned and uh, they ended up uh, torturing him. It looked like they branded him because he went to rescue his fellow soldiers. Um, then afterwards, when he returned, he was imprisoned and they experimented on him to try to see why the super soldier serum worked on him and they didn't work on the other soldiers and we learn about his personal life that uh you know he had a wife and that she passed away when he was in prison and uh yeah we we learn his pov on the shield and uh the troubled history of that shield uh, Let's talk about this. Um, you know, this we, we've discussed that, that this is a series that is really um, tackling race in a way that the MCU hasn't in the past, except for really anything that would be considered MCU proper. It would be Black Panther, where they tackled race. Everything else, they really haven't. If you talk about the Netflix stuff, Luke Cage did tackle race, but um, at least thus far, those series are not a part of the MCU proper so let's talk about this scene i, I want to talk about uh, sam's reaction to it a little bit later because he has an entire conversation with his sister and with bucky about it so let's focus specifically on isaiah bradley and what he said priscilla man i i left that scene 
I had to pause it afterwards and just be like, that was a powerful scene. Like, I I, I talked to my boyfriend about it because we were watching and I was just kind of like, of course he's not going to want the shield. It was a stupid thing for him to bring it anyway because it represents everything bad that happened to him. And, of course, as he goes along talking about the about what happened to him in the military like you see you like your it's elucidated that they wrecked him they destroyed his life they and his wife herself like poor woman was just left wondering what happened to him with an empty casket with them pronouncing that that he's dead when he's really not so i'm just uh, that left a, a little part of me wondering whether or not the grandson has his powers or not. But other than that, like, um, I was mostly just in awe of how Falcon would take that information and how he would coax it about and becoming the the Captain America himself. Because what do you do when someone who's more experienced and you tells you no self-respecting black man would take the mantle like god they they must send you in a tailspin yeah especially because everything that he's been fighting for i mean it's been i mean he hasn't been holding the shield but it's been behind that shield i mean his bff was captain america I mean, gosh, Carl Lumley, what an amazing performance. And props also to Anthony Mackie. I mean, Anthony Mackie had to convey that he was taken in the weight of everything that Isaiah Bradley was telling him. I mean, the trauma in uh, in just Carl Lumley's voice in having to recount everything that happened to him. I, I mean, I've got to say, uh, props to the writers and the writers' room. I mean... You know, we always say representation matters, and it's scenes like this one and the one later on, or the ones later on that talk about race, and you have characters openly talking about race. I mean, it's important to have black showrunners and black writers in the writer's room because then you get an authentic um, history and an an authentic dialogue with how to properly talk about race. Like, you don't get it from, as we typically see in other productions, from the white gaze. You get it from, uh, you know, get it authentically from BIPOCs. So props to the writer's room, as well as the actors. Professor, your take on Isaiah Bradley and uh, and Sam in that scene. Well, when we first met uh, Isaiah Bradley, we were talking about, oh, are we going to get like a flashback or anything like that? And while that would have been cool, uh, you know, Carl Lumley is so good that him just sitting there telling the story was probably as good as as seeing an actual flashback and, and probably a little less cheesy. You know, he just had the, the gravitas, the the emphasis, uh, and also, you know, bringing out that interesting angle, which is, you know, we, we sort of talked about, you know, the idea of Sam taking up the mantle of Captain America as, you know, the, you know, the, the white racists would be reacting badly to that. 
but there's also going to be that community. And, and, you know, Carl Lumley, you know, gave them a voice of people saying that, no, you shouldn't be doing this. No self-respecting black man would. Um, I think it was, it was very strongly done. It's also interesting that, you know, Sam, his, his character is, you know, um, uh, you know, going back to when we first met him, right. He's, he's, you know, he's a healer. He's uh, he's a therapist. He's someone who, who tries to help people who tries to fix things. Him trying to reach out to, to Carly, uh, him, you know, trying to sort things out for Sharon, him, you know, uh, his first reaction when he, he tells, here's, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah's story is I, you know, I can call some people, I can get this straight note. And, and, uh, and, and uh, um, Isaiah is basically saying, no, I mean, because if they find out I'm still alive, they'll be coming after me. Um, you know, it shows, you know, you know, that's, that's part of, you know, who Sam's character is. He's someone who wants to fix things, wants to make things better for people. And we saw that, of course, you know, uh, later on in, in the boat montage as well. Um, I think, you know, this was, you know, uh, again, putting it here in the, uh, the second to last episode, uh, you know, calling back to what we've seen before. I think, you know, uh, you know, as long as I'm throwing out, uh, this will be my mid-credit sequence scene, which will be a uh, mid-credit sequence scene. We're back in the Smithsonian. We now are in the Captain America exhibit, except there's now a new section on these black soldiers who were experimented on. And then we pan away to see, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah Bradley and his grandson looking at it. That would be really nice. I was thinking of yeah, how they're going to bring... There has to be something in there. Yeah. We, we, they can't identify him by name. They can't say this is Isaiah Bradley. He was the super soldier or else, as he said, people are going to come after him. But for him to be just one of a group and for them to get the recognition, I think if they don't do that, they've, they've missed something that they, they're clearly setting up. I think so as well. You need a scene like that because if we're going to have his grandson potentially join a certain little thing called Young Avengers at some point because they're introducing all the Young Avengers. So clearly they're planning on doing something, whether it's a Disney Plus series or an actual film series with these characters. They're planning on doing something. They're already setting the seeds for that. So, you know, they're now watering and it's clearly going to grow into something. If they're going to do that, we're going to need um Isaiah's stance to soften a little bit because if his grandson is going to be a hero like his he's going to have to you know I don't want to say change his mind but he's going to have to come to an understanding about that I think um I don't know how that's going to be conveyed because clearly we have Isaiah's stance on the shield in this episode I don't know if that's something where you know he's just going to see uh, Sam in a suit or something and be like, now I'm down for it. Uh, like, I, I don't know how you do that because he's, he, you know, he's been through a lot. He's experienced racism in America in the time where it, it was uh, a, it was its own epidemic. I mean, it, I mean, it's not like racism has disappeared, but you know, it was at a time when it was just disgusting. And uh, I completely understand why he feels the way he feels. But I don't know. I don't know if it's just going to be enough to see Sam in a suit with the shield um, and the news or something saving the day. But maybe it might be. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I, I trust the writer. So far, they've been doing a good job. I, I do think they need. We need to see something like that, Professor. Though too, I just don't know how we get there. Yeah, I think it has to be something, and it has to be him there seeing it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, just a brief tangent off of uh, something you were saying. You were talking about them setting up for you know their own Disney Plus series or a movie. I want to be say something that's a little heretical at this moment. Do we want Marvel movies anymore? Wouldn't we rather have these six episodes 
where you get the depth of character. Because if this was a two-hour movie, how much of this stuff that we've been talking about for the past five weeks, and we'll talk about next week, would have had to be cut out? We wouldn't have gotten the training montage. We wouldn't have gotten the boat seat. Uh, we wouldn't have gotten the character development that we're getting by dealing with these things sequentially in, in these limited run series. Um, uh, I realized that, you know, the movies probably still make more money, but uh, in terms of storytelling, my God, I think that if you have a story you want to tell about these characters, the place you want to be doing it is a Disney plus show, not a movie. Yeah. I do wonder if, like BTS, if executives and, you know, higher ups and people that are making way more money than we are, are really thinking about what they're going to do in the future. I mean, WandaVision was a slam bang hit. Like it brought in huge numbers for its first weekend. This one, uh, its first episode uh, surpassed WandaVision's first episode. Not by a lot, but it, it surpassed it. Uh, I'm wondering what Loki will do. Will Loki surpass this one? Um, it will each one subsequent one like surpass the previous one. That'll be interesting to see. And I wonder if, you know, the the green light for more Disney Plus series will you know suddenly turn on. And uh, I, I wonder how they're going to decide. Okay, this is a film, but this is a Disney Plus series. Um, clearly, we're getting a much more intimate moment with these characters. Uh, via Disney Plus, we're getting small scenes and we're getting large action set pieces and we're really allowed to get to know these characters as people through the Disney Plus series, something that we would not be able to see in a feature film. I do think we still need the feature films. Um, feature films will feature, as as they have in the past, you know, a main character or two, and those will be the characters we focus on in the feature film. But I now wonder if, as they create these feature films, if some of the characters that are co-starring in those films, they're already going to start eyeing, okay, you know, this character from Shang-Chi will have their own Disney Plus series because we can really expand upon them than we would, you know, in the feature film. I'm wondering how they're going to make those decisions, but uh, I think decisions like that are, they're starting to, at least the, the executives are starting to think about that and moving forward. Yeah, it's exciting. There's still plenty of Disney Plus series that haven't debuted. She-Hulk is filming. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned. Okay. Uh, Priscilla, do you have anything to add? We sort of veered into a different territory. We were just talking about Disney Plus and uh, how um, spoiled we are <laughs> via Disney Plus. I just wanted to mention that when it went to the boat scenes, I was like, am I watching Forrest Gump right now? What the hell? Why are we on the bayou? <laughs> like, what, what the hell's going on with going this? Going down the bayou, yeah. <laughs> but um, I do love that they mentioned the fact that Winter Soldier always has his fucking t-shirts, like, size extra small, and his chest is size extra large, so it always looks like it's about to break through. Like, they mentioned that in the, in the, in the episode, and I was just kind of like, yep, that is damn true. With that, the tight small shirts. That's funny. Uh, I laughed at that too. Uh, we're going to get to the boat in a moment. Before we get to the boat, let's visit Sokovia. So we saw where Sam headed to after uh, after his uh, European adventure. Uh, I will say he told he did call 
his sister to let him know that he was coming home. Uh, and then we head on to Sokovia to see where Bucky is. Well, actually, we see Zemo first. He's at the Sokovian Memorial, and that's where Bucky finds him. And, uh, you know, Zemo understands what's going to happen next. And it looked like Bucky was about to murk him. He holds up the gun, he aims, he shoots, but there are no bullets. Um, so I think Zemo thought that that's what Bucky was going to do. But this was a moment that, that at least showed Zemo that Bucky isn't who he thinks he is. Uh, Zemo also says that he wasn't going to be coming after him. Um, and Zemo also says that he crossed himself off of Bucky's list because he has like no animosity over Bucky's decisions. Um, in come the Wakandans, the Dora Milaje, and Io. And they collect Zemo. They, Io says that they're going to take him to uh, the raft. And um, she also says that it might be smart for the White Wolf to be not seen in Wakanda, at least, you know, in the immediate future. And he asks her for a favor. The favor we'll talk about later on. So let's talk about Zemo, his conversation with Bucky, seeing the Dora Milaje one more time, and uh, and what Bucky did with Zemo as far as the gun. Professor? I love the uh, the payoff for uh, for Zemo because you know last episode oh my god he's escaped into the sewers he's on the wind what's he doing is he you know plotting some horrible strike is he uh, you know is he uh, you know uh, you know going out for Turkish delight what what's he up to he no, he's gone to the memorial of course he would do that it's it's perfectly logical and rational that he would do that a very powerful uh, delightful scene uh, Daniel Brule. Just knocking it out of the park with Zemo. Didn't have a lot to do in this episode, unfortunately, but, you know, he's been so, so good. And, you know, that opening scene, don't worry, I decided not to kill you. Imagine my relief. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was a little unnecessary for Bucky to do the gun thing. And then, you know, the bullets in his other hand, that seemed more cinematic than anything else. Um, you know, it, it was unnecessary. Um Having the uh, the Dormilaje come on, it was funny because I just sort of assumed when they said they were there for Zemo, you know, in the previous episodes, that that meant they were going to kill him. Uh, but no, they're going to take him off to the raft. Good, because no one's ever escaped from the raft. Um, True. So, yeah, about my only two very small neg negative points. I, again, I think that scene with, you know, the... Uh, the gun and the bullets in the other hand was unnecessary. It was, you know, uh, and the other thing was that for Io to say, you know, uh, you know, it's best if you don't show yourself in Wakanda for a while. And then for him to immediately say, hey, I need another favor. That felt a little, uh, you know, because when someone says, hey, don't bother showing up for a while because we hate your guts. Um, for him to then say, hey, can I have a favor? That seemed a bit unlikely to me. Um, maybe flip that around, ask for a favor and then have her say, OK, but don't show your face in Wakanda for a while. I think that might have made a little more sense than, to, you know, expecting them to just, oh, yeah, sure. We hate your guts for uh, for protecting this uh, this brutal criminal. But, yeah, sure, we'll do you something. We'll do you a Thank solid. Thank you. I completely agree with you on that. I thought that the timing for those lines was completely off. It was yeah. weird. Yeah, I could co-sign with that, too. Again, uh, necessary sure. because they wanted to have him say, I need a favor. Um uh, and then not say what the favor was, obviously, whereas if they'd done it the other way, I think, you know, you would have had to, you know, uh, have a favor. I think they still could have pulled it off and it, it would have worked a little better. Uh, but, yeah, it, you know, very minor uh, negative point for me on that. 
Okay. Priscilla, the professor didn't like the whole gun situation. What's your take on it? Unnecessary, but thrilling. Oh, God. Well, here's <laughs> my thing. Okay. Uh, and, and I don't, I guess maybe y'all didn't see it the way that I saw it. I sort of saw it as, I think Bucky knew that Zemo thought that Bucky was going to kill him. But it, it, for me, it was a moment of sort of, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to call it character growth, but like a, a moment to, for where Bucky showed Zemo that he isn't who he, think he, who he thinks he is. Uh, you know, he was always, you know, throughout their encounters, like referencing him as the Winter Soldier and all that kind of stuff. And that was a moment, although dramatic, hella dramatic, uh, I think it was a moment to show him that he's no longer that person because he kept on sort of inferencing well you know what you got to do and you're a killer and you're gonna have to kill carly and i'm telling you you gotta do it like i I think that's what that scene was supposed to convey am i wrong i might be wrong Yeah, except that we already know that because we've seen bucky for five episodes now so prior to that uh you know uh zemo had said that, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to kill you and I, I take my name off uh, your list. So, you know, even before that, it, it just it felt like it was, you know, meant to be dramatic for the sake of being dramatic. It just felt totally unnecessary. OK. All right. Priscilla, any other thoughts on the Zemo scene? No, like I completely agree with with Professor X. Like, it just it, it felt like it was just there to add padding to the scene to add something spicy to the scene of recapturing him instead of being like well gotta take you back to Wakanda now like that would have been awkward so you have to have something that makes it look cool and makes it look interesting for the viewer to have something cool to watch like I don't know like it's just it was just padding. It was there was nothing particularly that we learned as a viewer that we didn't already know, and there was nothing that Zemo learned that he didn't already know either, because he had crossed the named off the list beforehand. So like it, no, and nobody learned anything that day. Okay, all right. Uh, I do disagree with the professor, though. Um... I don't think the Wakandans were going to kill Zemo. Like, I, I, I feel like they were going to imprison him. Um, that's what I had thought. Like, I didn't immediately go... I, I, I no, my assumption was when Io showed up and said, you know, we're here for Zemo, my assumption was they're going to kill him. I, 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 after that, I don't think there was any reason to assume that. But, you know, my feeling was this guy killed your king. You're going to kill him. Okay, well, there you go. I guess maybe they could have taken out the gun scene and uh, the gun situation and they could have shared a Turkish delight. A gag, because y'all don't or like it. Or he could have just opened up his hand and let a whole bunch of Turkish Delight fall on the ground and then crush them with his foot, which is the best thing you can do with Turkish Delight. <laughs> okay, there's that, too. All right, all, okay. maybe Turkish is no delight. Oh, okay. All right, everyone, grab a hammer and some nails and some paint. It's time to fix the boat. So let's talk about the, the boat-fixing situation. Bucky visiting... Uh, uh, Sam, uh, he does have a box in tow. Uh, we will talk about the box later on. Uh, Bucky, um, he gets his flirt on with Sarah, which um, I will say Sam picks up on and is like, don't do that. 
Uh, we get the boat fixed. Uh, Bucky ends up spending the night. He sleeps over. We have an incredibly charming scene with uh, Sam's nephews, uh, Sarah's kids, uh, playing with the Captain America shield. We also have Bucky uh, waking up in Sam's house. He did not sleep on the floor. He slept, I think it was the couch, but he woke up normally, not in the middle of a nightmare, which I think is uh, an interesting thing to note. Um, we're, let's not talk about their conversation about the shield just yet. Let's talk about the lighter moments with the boat and, and Bucky returning. Um, any thoughts on any of this? It was a very normal scene. I, I mean, it, this is this was a scene that did not have to deal with the larger goings on in this series, but it's a small storyline that was introduced in the very first episode. It was the family boat. I'll just open it up to the floor. It just call, harkens to mind like the fact that minorities often bring about giant goals together by coming together as a community. And making the goals be known, like as they did with the boat here and calling up family and friends and members of the community and calling in favors and stuff like that. And they did it joyfully because they knew that they had been helped beforehand and they would be helped later on in the future because that's how that's how things go in the in our world, Mm -hmm. I should say. It's just, that's just how things be. And yeah, it was it very was, real world. Yeah, that I, I loved that. It, it, it's, it's the, I, I, I should say, it's the bright note to the bank moment that we had earlier in the episode, in, in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Uh, an adorable moment that I loved. It was a tiny moment, but Bucky ends up stepping in to help. And he's he's using his his regular hand, his regular arm, and uh, Sam's like, "Why don't you use your metal arm?" And he's like, "You know what? I really don't think of that instinctively, you know, because I'm right-handed." It was a stupid line, but it just it felt so real, you know, in this world of superheroes and Thanos and uh, you know people with superpowers and super soldiers. That was. Such a real, normal, boring, mundane-ass moment, but it was incredibly charming. Professor, anything to add in regards to the boat, the boat sequence, uh, Bucky and Sarah, maybe? Well, I, I think it, it was nice to see, you know, uh, as Priscilla was saying, you know, the fact that the community rallies around and can accomplish something. You don't need a super suit. You don't need super soldier serum. Uh, you know, if you have contributed to the community, the community will give back to you as well. And then you can accomplish things on your own. Uh, I did love the flirting between uh, Bucky and Sarah. The only my, and, and I would love to see that going forward. I think, too, uh, they played it really well. It was delightful, uh, you know, especially Sarah. You know, she just that little look she gets. Oh, my gosh. It was so nicely done. The only problem is because Sam noticed it and called it out. That makes it seem to me less likely that anything's going to happen. Not because Sam threatened it. It's just because it would have to be something that was going on behind the scenes. However, having said that, if there is a season two, uh, that might give Bucky a reason to to come back. And and like you, I did love the fact that, you know, uh, when he woke up on the couch, 
and saw the two kids playing with the shield. It was just that sort of, you know, that moment of, you know, that sort of, you know, blissful family life that, that Bucky's never had, uh, you know, and uh, well, hasn't had in, you know, probably a hundred years. Um, but, you know, it, it was, it was really nice, you know, just to sort of see him in that setting. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the adapting to that, it was, uh, it was, it was just, you know, nice to, and again, we wouldn't have been able to spend as much time. We wouldn't have got this if this was a two or two and a half hour movie. Uh, it's because it is this many hours that we get these little character moments. Very true. Very true. So let's talk about... And also, mm-hmm. the kids were... Uh, again, I said this before, those two kids are fantastic. When they were playing with the shield, they were playing with in that exaggerated way that, of course, they would. And when they realize Bucky's awake, they're like, oh, no. And they're, they're trying to put it away, put it away. And, of course, they drop into clatters. Oh, my God. Those two kids are just fantastic. Adorable. Hella adorable. Okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, Sam and Bucky's conversation about the shield. This was uh, another conversation that that was featured in this episode where they tackled race. This is coming off of what Sam heard from Isaiah Bradley. This is really a discussion about a black Captain America, and something that I was incredibly impressed by was once again how it was written. Because Bucky, uh, being white, being Caucasian, you know, he he mentioned that he had talked to Steve about uh, Steve passing the shield to Sam. Which, interestingly enough, apparently this was an answer to something a lot of people online had. Uh, Apparently, I did not know this, because I guess I didn't really even think of this, but... A lot of people have an issue, or one of the issues that they have with um, Avengers Endgame is that there was no farewell scene for Steve and uh, Bucky. And so this series let us know that they did talk, and they sort of, I guess, said their farewell, ugh, said their farewells off camera. Because Bucky uh, references that 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 they had a, he had a discussion with Steve about Sam and the Shield and how they didn't know you know they didn't know the the racial implications I mean how could they have known is basically what he said and he apologizes for that and I was like this is allyship right there like that's how you're a real ally and I I loved that moment for both of them I thought it was an incredibly real moment an incredibly grown moment and an incredibly important moment um, in the series Uh, so they have a discussion about it Um, I want to sort of uh, incorporate Sam's talk with Sarah about it as well, because they reference it twice. They reference it, they reference um, the conversation with Isaiah Bradley when he first gets into town, and um, and she's like, do you want to talk about it? And, and he's he's like, no. Uh, but then later on, they do talk about it a little bit, and um, she's like, you're not going to let him get to you. And, and, uh, and, and they ta- also talk about his superheroics, and um, we get a little bit about, you know, Sam and um, what Sam has always tried to do for his family, as well as uh, he had his own interpretation of how Sarah viewed him. And um, he interpreted Sarah's impression of him as him tr- always running away. And she was like, that's not how I see you at all. 
And, uh, and so they have a bit of a frank conversation about Isaiah Bradley. And, um, and Sam basically says, you know, I completely understand, you know, his situation. I understand where, you know, the, the time frame, the, the timeline, you know, when it happened to him and his experiences. But, you know, I, I can't let that stop me from, you know, doing what's right in the here and now is basically what he said. So. Let's talk about this. Bucky and Sam's conversation and Sarah and Sam's conversations about a black Captain America. Professor? Well, it's funny that, you know, people were talking about, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the Bucky and, and Cap thing. Because when I watched Endgame, I knew that they'd had the talk the night before because when Bucky you know, when Cap didn't come back, Bucky knew where Cap was going to be and told Sam to go over there. So clearly they had talked about it beforehand and, and Bucky knew what Cap was planning on doing. So for me, I, I, I thought it was weird that people didn't get that because I thought it was yeah. pretty obvious uh, in the scene in the movie. So yeah. it, 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 I guess, you know, making, you know, subtext text in this particular case, but it it'll, did allow, you know, Bucky to apologize and, and, you know, rightly so because he, you know, he had been blaming Sam for giving up the shield. And, and as he says, you know, neither, neither Steve nor he thought about what it would mean for a black man to have that shield, uh, you know, and what that would entail. And so he apologized. And one thing that I thought was great about that was that he apologized and Sam accepted the apology. Sam didn't say, Hey, it's no big deal or anything like that. Sam just said, thank you for the apology. Uh, you know, which is a very, you know, uh, mature thing to do. And then it set up, you know, uh, again, Sam trying to make things better, trying to to help people and fix people, uh, you know, basically making that point with Bucky as well. Um, uh, as for the scene with Sarah, I thought it was important to have that in there because, you know, again, it could be very easy to sort of look at, well, this was, you know, Isaiah's experience and, you know, that should be the only one that they follow. But, you know, by having Sarah basically say just because he says that doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, you know, you have to realize that there are going to be these different points of view, these different opinions, um, you know, within any community. And, and I think, you know, having his sister be the one to bring that out uh, and, and sort of make the argument, hey, you're going to have to make this decision for yourself just because he said he went through one experience. And as Sam says, if I'd gone through it, I probably would have felt the same way. Uh, but it is a different time. And, you know, so this was, you know, you know, when he's thinking about, you know, taking up the shield, there has to be a reason to take up the shield, um, you know, and uh, I think that was, you know, important for him to hear that from his sister, because, you know, they have really done a pretty good job of establishing that relationship uh, between them. So I thought both of those uh, those conversations and again, you know, they, they have plenty of time to uh, to uh, to spend on it, to uh, to let the scenes unravel uh you know in a very organic way uh but i thought both of them were were very very strong and of course the common element to both of those is anthony mackie just playing the hell out of sam wilson one hundred percent priscilla your take on uh both of those conversations just it's exactly what you said that with the first one that that's how you do allyship mm-hmm. you acknowledge the fact that you once had a previous position beforehand, but that it's mistaken after having found new information from a a reputable source and you say your apologies to the person that you've harmed. And that's what he did, and he did it flawlessly. Like, I completely respect um, Becky a lot more for manning up and admitting that he was wrong that that 
and especially about something that's so particular to him, like the shield, because he says the shield is a part is basically his family. Mm-hmm. All he's got left, so it's so uh, it's important to him, and to say that he was wrong about it, especially come this is coming from the guy who blew up in therapy about it beforehand and was closed off in therapy about it. Like it shows extreme growth. His therapist would be wiping tears from his from her face right about now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you're leading me right into my next question. So. Uh, you know, moving away from the Sam side of the coin, on the other side, the Bucky side, uh, what this conversation discusses, not only is Bucky's sort of attachment to the shield, and and as Priscilla referenced, um, he said that he sees it as family, we also get two other points with Bucky uh, in this scene, and I would say in the entire sequence that he's in uh, New Orleans, and and that is, uh, well, Louisiana. I don't think it's New Orleans exactly. Um, The two things that we get is, number one, clearly whatever dynamic that Bucky and Sam had before the series started, it has changed. And I think by the end of the series, it's going to be changed as well for the better. Um, You know, we still have them sort of teasing, oh, you know, we're we're not partners, we're coworkers, you know, we see each other, that, the other, but you t- you can tell that their relationship is uh, developing and it's becoming something that it wasn't before. Like maybe before they had sort of like a respect because of Steve, but now there's caring involved, which um God, that was so gay. I'm sorry <laughs> that, that scene was which so one? gay. <laughs> When he's like, they're not partners, co-workers, and they clap each other on the back. It was so straight, it veers into gay. Oh my gosh. I can't with you. Um, but it, it looks like their relationship is going to change, which is good. And the other thing that I think is really important is what Sam said to him about doing the work. Because uh, he's like, you know, you weren't doing your therapy. You weren't making amends. You were avenging. And if we think back to that first episode, that is what he was doing. He was not fully doing the work. And he basically set up what he's going to have to do with that Yuri man. He told him, you're going to have to find people and you have to apologize. And there's people out there that are going to need closure. And you're just going to have to give them that closure. You know, it's not going to be, you know... The, the whole big shebang of, like, taking someone down or doing the Avengers type of stuff, you're going to have to actually do the small stuff. And um, clearly, that's what we're going to get in the next episode. And I do think, I think it was the professor. I don't, I think it was, I don't think it was Priscilla, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, I know that one of you said that um, at the end of it all, when we see Bucky, going to him and telling him, you know, it was, I was the Winter Soldier. He died because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I think the man is going to be, I don't know what the right word is, because thankful might be the wrong word. Um, but I, I think thankful is probably the only thing that I can think of. Just thankful to to have that bit of information, to have the closure. And I, I don't think it's going to be as big of a dramatic 
you know, I hate you and I, you know, I curse the ground you walk on type of situation. I think he's more so just going to be grateful to have the information. I think. Yes. So, uh, and that was my guess. That was oh, me. Wait, both of you said something at the exact same time. Priscilla, go first. Okay, that was me. That was not the professor. Oh, okay. All right, that Pris- was my theory. All right, Priscilla, take credit. I wonder whether instead of getting that, which I, I think would be, you know, again, you know, would definitely be a necessary payoff for that first uh, episode. Um, I'm wondering whether instead we might get uh, like a montage of Bucky doing stuff, sort of showing how he's grown. So you would you wouldn't necessarily have to have the dialogue, but you would see him talking uh, with the old man and, you know, getting some sort of reaction. You would see him sitting down and actually engaging with his therapist. Uh, You would see him maybe building a bed in his uh, miserable little apartment. Um, So I think, you know, you could uh, you could do a lot of that by by showing rather than having to tell. But uh, I don't know for sure. I'm just thinking to myself, if you were looking for a way to sort of, you know, compress the development of his character, you could show a lot of that, you know, pretty effectively. I don't disagree that we might see a montage. I think we actually need the scene with the man, though. We They were introduced to the man. We spent time with him in that first episode. I think we're going to have to see him come face-to-face with Yori. Even if we don't actually see the conversation, I feel like we are going to see the conversation, but we need to see him show up, knock on the door, Yori answers, and uh, if the writers, because of time, want to cut out the scene... Um, depending on how they do it, maybe I might be understanding, but there's a part of me that really thinks we need to actually see the scene because we need to see Bucky do the work. And this would be the first step and and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so let's talk about the training montage. We get an 80s training montage set to music. Uh, it is actually the end credit theme that we see at the end of the episode. That's what the training montage music was, used effectively here. Um, I, I don't really have anything to say, but I just thought it was cool that we got to see a training montage. You know, we, we saw him with the shield and throwing it and a whole bunch of uh, acrobatics and that kind of stuff. We did get a tiny moment that mirrored um, the uh, Captain America Winter Soldier opening where... Uh, where Steve was like running and would like always pass him. And we got Sam basically saying the same thing to his nephew and then his nephew running after him. So there was a little shout out to that, which I thought was uh, very nice. Uh, any thoughts on just the training montage? I'll open up to the floor. It wasn't that big of a scene. As the, no. Good. <laughs> As the only girl in this, in this, Thing. Anthony, Anthony Mackie looks good. It was a little weird that, you know, he was having absolutely no problem with the shield, you know, in the previous scene with Bucky, but then in the training montage, he's suddenly, you know, almost taking his head off repeatedly. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering whether maybe they should have, again, you know, it's a bit like the Wakanda, um, you know, I need a favor. I'm just wondering whether if they'd swap the order of those, it would have made a little more sense. Also, we don't know how much time passed in the montage for him to, to get to that level of, uh, uh, that he's going to need for, you know, the next episode. But no, I mean, it was delightful. It was fun to watch. It was, you know, uh, you know, Anthony Mackie, uh, not just looking good as Priscilla says, but also managing to be funny, uh, while doing her training montage, uh, which was great. But yeah, it did seem to me that, you know, uh, I'm not clear how much time he had, you know, for running and push-ups and, uh, and shield work, uh, to get him ready to go face Carly. 
Well, it usually takes me about an hour to do all that, Professor. So not that much True. time has to pass. Well, yeah, but and of course, as we've already established, he doesn't have the super soldier serum, so he's just an ordinary person, which you've already said means he can't be Captain America. Well, no, because you made up actually a great point. So I know. Priscilla, back me up here, Priscilla. No, I I will say I thought he was going to take the super soldier serum. But the professor, even though he's sort of joshing me, you actually made a really great point that if we're going to have a black Captain America, do we want him to be less than the white Captain America that existed beforehand? And the white Captain America did have the super soldier serum. Um, it, it just I, I do worry for my characters and having... A, a human have to fight against, you know, these cosmic beings at times. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm worried for, uh, for Sam, but he's clearly capable. So I'll give him that. And Black Widow was a human and she was able to yeah. do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Hawkeye did stuff too, I guess. If Black Widow and Hawkeye can do it, then that means that our Sam can do it too. Yes. I believe in him. Oh, God. Let's talk about this next subject, because I am torn as to what to think. I'm very confused. I'm hoping the professor is right. Deep cover and all that kind of stuff, because right now we're going to talk about Sharon Carter, Batrock, and the Flag Smashers. So, we haven't gotten as much Sharon Carter as we did in the very first episode that we saw Sharon. We saw her sprinkled in in the previous episode. And then we saw her sprinkled in just a tad less in this episode. She makes a phone call to Batrock, a bad person that we've seen now in two previous occasions uh, in, across the MCU doing bad and nefarious things. She is paying him to provide the Flag Smashers with... Uh, I have no idea what any of that shit was. I don't know if y'all do. I guess they're, it's explosives, maybe? I think it's bombs. Bombs. They were very shiny. They were pretty explosives. Um, so with explosives or some sort of, you know, weaponry and that sort of thing, Batrock has been lured in because he has been promised that he can get vengeance on Sam. He wants to kill the Falcon. Uh, yeah. What is going on? What is Sharon doing? Is this some real deep undercover shit? Is she a bad person now? Has she broke bad? Um, I don't, I don't even want to ask, is she the power broker? I feel like the Contessa's the power broker, but I, now I'm confused. Is she working with Val? What is going on? Can someone explain this, please? It's pretty simple. Like, you didn't pick up on it? She's Mephisto. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> no. the Contessa's Mephisto. Um, I did, I, 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 again, I don't know what's going on. Like, honestly, this is leaving me really confused because it doesn't make any sense, regardless of where you're looking at. If Sharon is, is deep cover, as I speculated, why would she be giving weapons to Batrock unless maybe those weapons aren't going to work? possibly, or something like that. If she is the power broker, why would she be helping the Flag Smashers, the people she wants to destroy? Um, and again, you know, Sharon is, is you know, uh, being a somewhat shadowy figure, so I guess it makes sense that, you know, uh, we'll have to get some resolution of that. One thing I was looking at very carefully when I watched the second time was trying to figure out what sort of phone she was using, because as we know, if you use an Apple phone, 
you can't be a bad guy. And it didn't look like she was using an Apple phone. It looked like an Android to me. Oh, no. So, um, yeah. Now, that said, even if you're just sort of, you know, morally grace, but I think it's more likely. I think about that, you know, the, the whole, you know, uh, power broker thing. We're all getting hung up on this power broker. The power broker is basically the mayor of Madripoor. Okay. You know, like, let's, let's not go thinking that this is a cosmic level threat or anything like that. It's just, you know, someone who runs this, you know, island city, uh, you know, and, uh, and it is into some shady stuff. Um, I think it'd be much more interesting if, uh, if Sharon was maybe working with Val um, and they are sort of, you know, setting up a Thunderbolts type situation. Now, if that's the case, why would she be providing weapons to the Flag Smashers? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And also the fact that when she was talking with Batrock, it sounded like, you know, she had hired him to do the previous mission uh, that uh, that Sam had foiled before. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to have to get some resolution for Sharon. I'm just hoping that, you know, it's it's not really negative, but it is certainly shadowy at this point. We have to get some more information on this or, you know, it is, again, the idea of it being a, a shadowy thing. If there, if she is, you know, working with Val and sort of like a, a, a an even shadowy version of Shield, uh, perhaps they're trying to manipulate the flag smashers into coming out in the open so they can all be killed um, or taken down in that way. And and if that's the case, then you know, if the weapons that they provided don't work or something like that, that might make sense. Although she is sort of, you know, uh, waving uh, Sam out there as as bait to get Batrock there. Um, so I don't know. I, I think they're they're you know you can either argue they're not giving us enough information or you know they're keeping things sufficiently vague that we'll we'll get the reveal. But yeah, I'm still pretty sure that uh, that Sharon's going to be you know on the side of the angel simply because again Emily Van Camp, good Canadian girl. Well, she did very bad things on Revenge when she was getting revenge. So true, but she was getting revenge. That was her goal. Well, I that believe. is true. Yeah, that was. Oh, God, I'm so torn about this, just because I don't want to see Sharon Carter be bad, which doesn't mean that she can't be redeemed at some point. But it's just, I don't know if I want to see that path for her. And I think it's because of Peggy Carter, because I I love Peggy Carter. She was a fantastic character who was on the side of good, who always did the right thing. And it just feels so wrong that, um, that Sharon would all of a sudden feel so like just you know just feel so wronged by the US that they would push her in this direction um although seeing Emily Van Camp and Julie Louis-Dreyfus working together as baddies that might make up for it uh i just it just seems like so against her character for whatever reason. And I know it's well, a character that we haven't not seen a lot. per se, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, Val's character might not be a baddie. She might be sort of like, you know, more in the gray areas that things, you know, and one thing we've heard a lot about in this series is that, you know, the world changed uh, during the blip. Things are no longer as black and white as they used to be. They're no longer as black and white as, as Val's business card. Um, you know, yeah. maybe they're part of a, an organization that sometimes does things in, in shady purposes. And again, if we're getting towards a Thunderbolt situation, that would make sense. Well, they could either go Thunderbolts, and Thunderbolts is basically Suicide Squad, uh, supervillains, uh, sort of uh, doing good things. Uh, they could also go Dark Avengers route. Which... Yes, that's, I, I, I find that less likely because you don't really have sort of, you know, 
lead character for that you'd have for Dark Avengers. I think it makes more sense to do the the Thunderbolts route. Also, the fact you know the way they've been you know humanizing some of their villains, you know, making them more nuanced, I think makes more sense if you're going a Thunderbolts route than if you're going a Dark Avengers route where they were all just evil with different branding. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to wait. Uh, Priscilla, your thoughts. Sharon Carter, what is she doing? Is Peggy rolling over in her grave? Um, I think she's doing deep cover. I don't think she's a bad guy. I hope she's not the... The I forgot what the name is. Oh, the power broker. The power broker. Yeah, I hope she's not the power broker. Everything is pointing towards that, but if anything is right with Marvel, they usually do a heel turn and it's something else at the end. So I'm hoping that that's right and that that's what is going to happen in this time frame. All right. Can I just say? And I don't, I don't think I said this when we saw it initially. I love that art um, dealer gallery set. I think it's beautiful. And we haven't seen a lot of it. It might just be a room where they just shoot everything that's art gallery oriented. It might not even be an actual building or anything. But the set is really nice. Uh, I like it. It's kind of futuristic. It's, you know, I don't know. It's kind of cool. Okay, so Carly. We did not get a lot of Carly in this episode, but uh, the little bits that we got, we see that she is, as Sam said, doubling down on everything. She visits the GRC um, sort of like refuge where they've uh, removed all the people and uh, you know they were searching for her and, and they're clamping down and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Congress or the GRC, uh, uh, that's kind of vague as to whom, I, I'm assuming it's the U.S. Congress there, uh, or maybe it is the GRC. No, because I, I heard, I did hear accents when people were talking, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know, if, maybe it's the GRC. I guess it's the GRC. Yeah, it is the GRC. The GRC is going to be voting on something called, um, I don't even remember what it was, some sort of act to basically go against uh, the Flag Smashers, and so Carly and her flag smashies are in New York to uh, interrupt the vote. Now, the one thing that I think is of note in this storyline, outside of the fact that it looks like Carly is just, you know, she's down for the cause and she's down for the cause even more after everything that's happened. Um, the thing that I thought was most interesting is that Dovich one of her flag smashies. We've seen him before. We've seen him have talks with Carly. It looks like he is maybe one of the flag smashers that's going to have a heel turn in the next episode. He has qualms about how har how Carly is handling the situation. And uh, if anything happens in regards to maybe authorities getting tipped or something. I feel like it's going to be Dovich. Maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, he, he did. We saw him react in a certain kind of way as Carly was uh, getting all super villainy. And we have hinted at that with this character in the past, but I'm just, you know, not to quibble, but it would be a face turn, not a heel turn, because he would be doing the good thing. Not the oh, evil okay. Thing. Okay, so I mean, unless you're a big fan of killing people as a flag smasher. 
Yeah, well, there's that. All right, so face turn. Um, okay, so just Carly, she didn't really have much to do. Um, it looks like, uh, based off of the end of the episode, uh, they are taking over that facility where the GRC is. Um, there are people on the inside, uh, one world, one nation, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've talked about something like this on other shows when they do movements like this where it's like the bad person creating a movement and it's a villainous type of movement and it's like how do you get rid of this villainous movement entiment, uh, entity um, once this is over and like how do you do that that's what something that I wonder you know we have the flag smashers clearly Carly can summon them at a whim, she does a little whistle, and they all turn and look at her. Uh, she's got people on the inside. How do you get rid of this entity moving forward? That's something that I do wonder. Well, clearly, the professor is going to say, well, there, that's why there's a season two, right? I'm hoping that they take on Carly and they manage to talk her out of this, or they, they still manage to... To, I don't know, just discuss this with her. You think Mega she's talk no jitsu? too far gone? I, I don't know. The professor, I think it was in the previous podcast, you said that you think she thinks she's probably going to die. So I think so. I think she will either die by her own hand to be a martyr for the cause, or John Walker's going to kill her. Which I don't, uh, yeah, I could actually see yeah, that. She I, may agree to stand down. She may, you know, Sam talks her down. She says, okay, I'm not going to do it. And then John Walker comes out of nowhere to kill her. Bang. Uh, but I do think, you know, after everything we've seen her do, she she has to die. Yeah, and that's something, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with this sort of movement. Especially since it is a post-blip movement. So this is a sentiment that's out there. And, and we've seen other series handle you know, anti-alien sentiment over on Supergirl, uh, you know, other uh, anti-meta sentiments on various uh, of the Arrowverse shows. It's like, how do you get over that in one episode? If she has all these people that she can just call up on a whim, you know, pick up the app, meet at Central Park, uh, we're going to do this. Uh, people down for the cause. It's like, how do you get rid of that? And if she dies, which I think, I agree with the professor, I feel like she has to die. Like, she's going to be a martyr for the cause. So the cause is going to grow. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how they're going to deal with this. And I, I can 100% see Walker killing her. Even if she agrees to stand down and, uh, you know, I will go to jail. I will do everything. Walker's going to kill her. Damn, is he going to kung lao her with that new shield that he's got? He's going to chop, yeah. chop her head off or something? Jesus. <laughs> chop her head off. Oh, God. Potentially. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see what happens with Carly. And what they do with it. So, the tail end of the episode. Uh, we did get a little bit of Torres. In this episode earlier, when they were still... Uh, I know, she's excited. Earlier, when, when they were in Riga still, we had a conversation between Sam and Torres, where um, Torres um, 
sees that Sam is wingless, and and Sam is basically like, uh, oh, you could keep him. Mm-hmm. And then late, Sam also is like, you know, just let us know. And 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 uh, and Torres is like, you know, sometimes you just gotta wait for things to happen. And so he calls with information. He talks about the flag smashers and the ping, and you know, we've been able to see, you know via the ping of like when they send out a massive uh, text chain and that sort of thing and we see it here in new in the united states in new york city for the first time ever and so sam because he's watching the news about the grc and the vote and all that kind of stuff he puts two and two together uh early in the episode as well bucky's like you know once you get a lead call me and i'll be there so clearly we know where they're going and then we see sam finally open up the beautiful uh, briefcase that um Bucky brought from Wakanda, uh, a gift from the Wakandans. He opens it. It goes from red to blue, as opposed to from red to green, as they usually do. And he he opens it. He looks in. We don't know what it is, but we know what it is. The fact that people online are questioning what is in the briefcase blows my mind. Because I'm like, Really? <laughs> How do people not know what's in the briefcase? Can I tell you how many messages on social media, posts on Facebook, where people are like, what is in the briefcase? And I'm like, is this really a question? As I ask the question, is this really a question? Oh, God, I I couldn't even. I guess it's maybe it's the thing that's inside of the Pulp Fiction briefcase. You know, we'll get the answer to that. Talk about a crossover, right, Professor? Or it's it's uh, the movie Seven. What's in the box? Uh, it's oh my god! It's Gwyneth Paltrow's oh my head. Gosh, Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's why we haven't seen her as uh, um, I forget her superhero name. Pepper Any, Potts. Pepper Potts. Rescue. No, but she had a, she has a superhero name when she dresses up. Rescue. Her. Yes, that's why we haven't seen Rescue. Rescue anybody because her head's in a box. It's better than what Justin Timberlake puts in his box. But anyway, um, old Saturday Night Live sketch. Okay, so clearly it's a suit, right? Made in Wakanda for Sam. It's a new Falcon, Captain America, probably hybrid suit. Yes, everyone? Yes. Okay, thank you. I have no idea why people were questioning what was in the box. I'm like, come on. Come on. I mean, the only question they could have is, you know, Will his suit enable him to fly? Um, you know, uh, what level of Wakandan tech will he have in the suit? And this might address some of your issues about him being a normal guy because, you know, clearly they have, you know, the Black Panther suit technology that, you know, would effectively make him bulletproof, possibly, sure. you know, vibrant enhancement or, or various, uh, you know, Wakandan toys like that. Um, I don't know how much they're willing to share, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, you can wonder exactly what the suit will entail, but no, I mean, it's obviously it's Captain America suit. Exactly. Yes. Vibranium-y type of Captain America suit so that, you know, I don't have to be worried about Sam when he flies up in the sky doing, what was it that, uh, Sarah said double barrels or whatever. <laughs> She's like, whatever you do up in the sky. Um, yeah. Okay. So clearly, um, my question would be, I'm not even, I, like, I knew what was in the box. My question would be, is like, how do they know his size? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like a custom made suit. Like, how do they, yeah. She hacked into the, into the 
cell phone mm-hmm. and she figures out exactly how much how like tall he is based on like the parameters of what's around him in his cell phone camera and stuff like that and that's how she figures out how to make the suit all right i approve of that explanation i like it okay everybody did i miss anything teeny tiny little moment anything that either of you would like to bring up even a little easter egg or something before we head into the mvp all right everyone we covered it's all a jam-packed penultimate episode to this i'm I'm gonna say season because i feel like i can't say series because we're gonna need more we all want more it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Professor, your MVP and why. I already tipped this one off earlier, uh, so no surprises here. Anthony Mackie. Man, just so good in this episode. He played so many different levels. He played light. He played comedy. He played the, the training montage. Uh, he played the really serious scene with Isaiah. Um uh, being there to help uh, Bucky out, uh, it's just all you know consistent with his character. But he really played the uh, um, oh the conflicted nature of of Sam, and really you know making it clear why Sam was reluctant to take up the shield in the first place, but why he's come around to realizing he has to. Um, boys, uh, Anthony Mackie, I mean, just, just casting him as, as Falcon all those uh, years ago, it is paying off tremendously uh, in this this series. He's just been so so good. Fantastic choice. Priscilla, your MVP, and why? My MVP is Wyatt Russell as John Walker, because, oh my god, he fucking goes nuts at that fight scene. He, like, this is a guy who has not been cast for very many, like, action movies, and, like, went toe-to-toe with people that have been in, in feature films doing this shit, and both of them together at once and managed to look just as good as they did and managed to look just as gritty and just as hard. And the scene where he's talking to the senator, you feel for him like you feel for every veteran that gets their benefits taken away, like that for every soldier that is like kind of not taken seriously by the army, but for veterans in general, like you just feel for him and to go from complete and total bad guy to being like the guy that you feel ambivalent about to feel at the end with him making the shield like oh shit what's he gonna do now like it gives range to the character so sure john walker another very good choice yes and uh i'm gonna select as my mvp carl lumley isaiah bradley one scene, but what an incredibly powerful scene. It, it, it's it's a conversation that I feel will stick with Sam forever. Uh, and uh, Carl Lumley brought it. Just fantastic work. Uh, you could just feel every bit of emotion in every syllable of every word that he said throughout that conversation. I just loved it. He was fantastic. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Captain America shields? You can make your own now. <laughs> um, Walker's going to upload his design onto Etsy or some shit. Or Pinterest. The point system is loud, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden Captain America shield. Um, 
Let's start off with Priscilla. I'm giving this one a 10. I I felt like it gave me the highs with the fight. It gave me mo- mo- moments where my heart could feel warm and happy, like with the Bayou scenes. It gave me a training montage that made me feel like amped up it it gave me moments of mystery like with Sharon Carter wondering what's going to happen next and w- it gave me scenes of hope with Torres with the Falcon and wondering what whether we're going to have a brand new superhero in our midst coming up soon so yeah a 10 for sure starting off with a solid 10 from Priscilla's homemade shields Professor, what about you? A golden shield. I mean, I don't know what the hell Priscilla wants. I mean, you just said <laughs> all these things you got out of the episode, but you're not giving it the golden shield. Uh, this was a golden shield, definitely. This was just tremendous. Excellent fight scene, great character work, uh, and you know, great setting up of, uh, of the finale. I think they, they just did a tremendous job in this episode. It's because she doesn't know who Julia Louis-Dreyfus is. Yes, maybe if you'd known who Julia Louis-Dreyfus was. She's just uh, that lady. Uh, given it that bump that up that little bit more yeah she's just that lady that's true (laughs) yes all right i'm giving it a golden captain america shield as well for what everyone said but nobody mentioned her until i did the gag but julia louis dreyfus she was like the icing on the cake of this episode the the entire episode is fantastic rewatchable i rewatched it in prep for the podcast and and i will say the emotional elements of it still hold up upon rewatch there's some shows where you know maybe you'll catch your feels the first time that you watch an episode but then once you see it again a second time or a third time it kind of loses the emotional resonance this it was still here uh with this episode like i felt the emotion i would say even more the second time around what a fantastic episode to an amazing series. Uh, a golden Captain America shield from me as well. And, on and that, if I can just throw in a little recommendation, if you are watching it the second or third time, do it with the subtitles turned on. Sometimes when, you know, Bucky and, uh, and Sam are talking to each other, you can't really hear what they're saying. But the dialogue just continues on some great stuff going on in there that unfortunately, you know, you, you can't quite hear. I will co-sign that uh, when they were walking away from the boats because the music started pumping in and, and uh, you know, it's supposed to be sort of like them sort of talking off and, and into the distance and that kind of thing. Uh, you, they still have the closed captions on it and uh, you can actually read the conversation, even though the music is sort of rising and in essence, you're not supposed to hear it. Uh, but it's an interesting conversation nonetheless. Uh, yeah. And also if you had the captions on, you would know that that was bat rock and uh, because the closed caption actually said that uh, Sharon was talking to him, even though based off of uh, what she was saying, you could kind of uh, surmise that. All right. Join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative Falcon and Winter Soldier. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments? Or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. 
Just search for The Avengers Initiative, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Priscilla. In a straight couple, how do you know which one is Falcon and which one is the Winter Soldier? Goodbye, everybody. And the professor. Don't worry, Priscilla. I've decided not to kill you. Oh. Oh, because she gave it just a 10. No, because that was what uh, uh, Zemo said. No, I know that. But I wanted to give you justification. All right. uh, Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of the Avengers Initiative Falcon and Winter Soldier every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night.